right, well, how many of you consumed a lot of food this week? That's our God-given right as Americans. Come on, we have our, our holiday celebrating food, and uh, it was an awesome time. Uh, we actually had two Thanksgivings this week. We did one up here with our family in Eugene, so we had Wednesday Thanksgiving, and then we had Thursday Thanksgiving, the normal one, uh, down in Medford, so we double did it for Thanksgiving, and I'm going to tell you, we should, everybody should have two Thanksgivings. I wasn't sick of it. You know what I mean? And how many of you have like your special things you do after Thanksgiving for leftovers and all that? You have your little tricks and all that? Yeah, pretty good stuff. So get to eat good turkey and soup. And Bethany made uh, turkey, well, it was like chicken and dumplings recipe, but with turkey, and it was very good. You can tell it's second service because I start talking about food. Well, we're going to jump into our sermon for today. And uh, we've been in a series called Bigger. And uh, we're going to wrap that series up today. How many of you have been enjoying this series and God's been challenging your faith, right? Seeing at a higher level. Uh, the reality is whether you have known God for five minutes or 50 years, we tend to not really see how big, amazing, incredible, magnificent he really is. And the challenge for each of us is to get a hold of a, the right vision, the right perspective of God, to see him at that right level, to recognize that he's bigger than any challenge. He's bigger than every circumstance. He's bigger even than our shortcomings and failures. God is so amazing. And when you get the right, the right sight of God, when we elevate our perspective of God, then we can do the things he's called us to do. And it's, it's life-changing. And so that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks, elevating our perspective of God. But today, as we talk about uh, this, as we finish off this series, we're actually going to talk about having bigger vision, how when we see God at the right level, that elevated perspective of God, it actually leads to an elevated vision for our life. Come on, how many of you say, I need a vision for my life? You can't go somewhere that you don't see. Uh, there is people that drive with poor vision. I don't recommend it. Uh, it's not, not, definitely not something I recommend. There was a lady that went to Joy Church in Medford that we grew up with, and she was actually our volunteer church secretary. She's a, a dear woman, and she's gone to be with Jesus. Um, I was surprised she didn't go to be with Jesus a lot sooner because her name was Billy and she was from Oklahoma and people would call the church. She'd say, you know, uh, well, actually she would call it today. Is the pastor there? That's how her voice was and really awesome lady. She used to pick me up from school and uh, she really couldn't see at all. She literally would drive and speak in tongues. And I think she needed to do that to actually have the Holy Spirit guide her <laughs> along the right path. And so you want to talk about getting an elevated uh, faith, you have drive with her. But I actually observed her once in the church parking lot, uh, contact, like hit a couple of cars on the way out. And so mentioned it like, maybe we should ask her not to drive in the church parking lot anymore. I didn't have kids at the time, but I thought if I did have kids, I probably wouldn't be too comfortable with her driving around. What does that have to do with the message today? Nothing. I just wanted to tell you about her. We need to have the proper vision, an elevated vision. We need to have vision in our life. And here's the thing. Maybe you're a person that has big vision. Maybe you're someone that sees kind of the future. You, you, you have big dreams and hopes and you believe big things even for, for your, your life and your business and your family and all of that. But I would say this to you, even if you kind of have big vision right now, it can go to a higher level when you get the right perspective of God. But for a lot of people, they really don't have much vision for their life. For most of us, we tend to have some things, whether it's things that come from our past or the way that we think, that limit us of what is actually possible. So how many of you have ever had a thought run through your mind, I can't because, and then fill in the blanks. Have you ever had that thought? So we call limiting belief or limiting thought. I can't because. 
I can't do this. I can't go to college because no one's gone to college in my family. I can't own my own business because that's not who we are. We're trailer trash. We're the people that are always poor. I can't because nobody in my family's ever been clean and sober. I can't because whatever it may be, I've made too many mistakes. There's these limiting beliefs and they cap our vision. But the reality is when you get a proper perspective of God, the vision that you have for your life, what you can see can actually be elevated. And so that's what we're talking about today. But the reality is that bigger vision starts with seeing what you don't see. Now that doesn't make any sense, does it? How can you see something you don't see? But actually we've all had this experience and I'll I'll give you some examples. Uh, When I was, I think 18 or 19, this beautiful young woman walked into the room. Her name was Bethany. My dad elbowed me. He says, hey, do you see the new girl? She's pretty cute. And I was like, ooh, you know, shut up dad, kind of embarrassed or whatever. But I didn't really see Bethany in a romantic way. I saw her, I observed her. I saw that she was pretty, right? It's not what a young guy at 19 would say, but you know, now I'll say pretty. It sounds socially acceptable to say. Okay, she was fine, you know what I mean? But I saw her, but then a couple years later, she walked into the room and I saw her at a different level, right? I saw her for three years. We had a friendship or we were frenemies, off and on friends and enemies, you know? And, uh, but then at one point it switched, everything changed and I saw her. So how many of you know what I'm talking about? You might have known the person that you married or that you're dating for three or four years before there was a romantic connection. There's a different level of sight. And this is the same way that it works with God, that in life we see, but we don't see. We see, yeah, God could do things with my life. Yes, he could use me to, 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 to make an impact in the world, but we don't really see. Another example of this is, uh, when I was 21, I, uh, I went and got LASIK surgery. How many of you know what that is? It's laser eye surgery. And the, I didn't realize this. I wasn't listening apparently, but they actually first, at this time when I had it done, they use a little thing called a microkeratome, which is a little razor blade on a circle and it whoop, and it cuts your cornea. That's scary. And, uh, but I remember going in and uh, having, you know, blurry vision without glasses, my eyes, I could see, I could observe colors and shapes and all that. I could see fairly well. But after that surgery, I could really see it changed. I was seeing, but not really seeing the detail, the, the, the depth of color, everything changed for me. This is what happens when we get an elevated perspective of God. We can get higher vision, bigger vision in life. And though we could see before, now we really see. And I would just say this to you, no matter what level or, or place you're at in your walk with God, you probably aren't seeing the potential of what God has for you at, the high enough, at a high enough level that you probably today could get an upgrade, right? And leave this room encouraged and inspired to actually believe, wow, God could do something with my life. Now let's jump into the, the scripture real quick. And I want to read you a story about seeing but not seeing from 2 Kings chapter 6. I'll set the stage for you. This is back in Old Testament times. Uh, Israel and Judah are a split kingdom and Israel is at war with the nation to the north. Uh, It's called uh, Syria or Aramea. And the the king of Syria is sending troops down to Israel. But every time he sends these troops, the Israel army is waiting for them right at the place they're going to attack. And he's like pulling his hair out. What is going on? So he gets his people together, his, his council, and he says, hey, who's a traitor? Somebody is giving them our position and, and giving up our information. And they're like, no, king. It actually, it's this prophet. His name is Elisha. He's in Israel. And what happens is whenever we talk about our military plans, 
We put them into action. God speaks to this prophet and he gives them the answer. And that's why they're always waiting. Now, how many of you know that's like the best spy in the world? 007 has nothing on that. Like if you're getting God radio and hearing the enemy position, that's totally like unbeatable. So the king of Syria does what any, you know, good military commander does. He says, well, we can't do anything until we get rid of this guy, right? We have to get rid of him. So he sends an entire army to a city called Dothan where Elisha and his servant are at. And this is where we pick up the story. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Uh, I read this as lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Elisha says, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And I imagine this young guy's like, huh? What do you mean? He's like, do we have, is there an army behind? Like, no, 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 we're surrounded. Like, there's nobody here. And, and, I, and I imagine it was kind of like thinking that Elisha the prophet was in one of those, like, I'm the preacher, I do the faith talk. Like, I give you platitudes when God shuts the door, he opens a window. You know, there are more on our side than on theirs. How many of you know, sometimes this kind of stuff sounds delusional. It's crazy. There's an army around us. And this young man has perfect vision. He's got 20-20. He's seeing what is going on? Maybe right now in life, you're, you're very uh, accurately seeing the challenges and the circumstances and what's wrong with you, what's wrong with your life. Like you're seeing it perfectly. Your eyes work just fine, literally and metaphorically. Like you see your life, you see it perfectly and you see the reality and you're surrounded. You're in a challenge, you're in a difficulty and you don't see that God could do something great with your life based on your current trajectory or your current circumstances. So here's Elisha. He says, hey, there's more on our side than on theirs. In other words, what are you worried about, bro? And this, then Elisha, it says Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And this is what it means to go from seeing to seeing. You are seeing, but you're not seeing. You're not seeing it all. You're seeing the natural, but you're not seeing the supernatural. You're not seeing the God-sized vision, the God vision, that is, that is happening here. And it says, the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Not those kinds of chariots of fire. Not a lot of people got that. Chariots of fire. There's an army, an army of fire. I mean, that, this is awesome, right? Make a movie about this. This was there all along and Elisha could see it, but this young man couldn't see it until God opened his eyes. Here's the question. What would you see if God opened your eyes to see what was already there? How many prayers have you prayed has God already answered? And if you had the eyes to see, you would see it and you would walk into it. Come on, somebody gonna get blessed today. Say, it might as well be me, right? God might have already given you everything you need to break through the challenge of the circumstance that you're in now. God has already provided the pathway for you to walk on or to run on, to be the person he's called you to be with great vision for your life, to achieve great things and do great things and not live down to the narrative of your family or your past, but live up to the narrative that God is speaking over your life. And God wants to show you something that's amazing. There's actually more going on around us than we realize. And so our prayer today is, God, open my eyes to see. And when God shows us something, let me tell you, God doesn't just show you something okay or 
hey, that's okay. No, God shows you something amazing. It's called a God-sized vision, a GSV. Somebody say God-sized vision. Jamie Buckingham said this, attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, it's bound to fail. A a GSV, a God-sized vision, is going to be bigger than your ability or your capacity to do it, to get it done without God. And this kind of vision, this bigger vision, when God opens your eyes to something, it's a byproduct of bigger faith in a bigger God. Again, when you see God for who he really is and you begin to trust him and believe, man, God is awesome. What if he could do something in my life? All of a sudden, he begins to show you things that he could do with your life. And they're so amazing. And as we elevate our perspective of God, as we begin to see God in his rightful place, we have this elevated perspective. We can ask God this extremely dangerous question, God, what would you like me to do? And let me tell you what we tend to do as humans, and it's, it's wrong when we're in a, a walk of faith with Christ, is we tend to take stock of our surroundings and our assets and our abilities and our skills and our current resources. And we go, in light of what I have and in light of my capacity, what is possible for me to do? Wrong question. The right question is, God, what would you like me to do? No stipulations. Here's the difference. When we let the presence or the absence of resources dictate our pathway, we are not trusting in God as God. We are instead making, again, the presence or absence of resources God and the definitive, uh, the, de- the, si- the deciding factor rather than saying, God, what would you like me to do? A person of faith doesn't say, can I? A person of faith says, God, what do you want me to do? And I will. Come on, I'm going to keep preaching if you don't Amen. If you want to eat lunch today, you got to give me some, you got to give me some gravy. Come on, shout at me a little bit. Here's what I'm saying. Okay, God God is calling me to go and and be a missionary. God is calling me to start a business. God is calling me to do X, Y, Z. You fill in the blanks. What's he speaking to you? What's he showing you? But I can't because, but I can't because I'm not good enough to speak but I can't because I'm not a leader, but I can't because I don't have the right skills, but I can't start a business because I don't even know what to do. It's not about what you have. It's about who you know. God, what do you want me to do? What would you like me to do? Why? Because if God gives you the vision, God's the one that's going to give you the provision. He's going to provide for you. He's going to show up in those moments that you need him to. God wants to show you something, but it requires faith to say, not what do I have, but what does he have and what can he do through me? You got to see it at a higher level. This is a dangerous prayer though, because if you say, God, what would you like me to do? Here's the thing about God. And when you pray, he answers. C.S. Lewis tells the story. He says about most people don't ever want to take the intellectual journey of really studying out whether or not there is a supernatural God, an infinite personal God that actually speaks and is interactive with human beings. The reason being is he he, he likens it to a person who sees a, a rope coming out of the sea and tugs on it, and what happens when the rope tugs back? We don't want that. How many of you know that there's something scary about praying that prayer, tugging the rope, and then God says, yep, (laughs) I'm here. Ah! There's something about that. It's outside of our control. It's outside of our our vision for our life. It's outside of what's possible. And and, And here's the thing. It's scary, and it's dangerous, because what if you say, God, what would you like me to do? And he answers you. 
And he says, well, I want you to do this. I want you to do such and such a thing. Or I, I want you to, to, to start a church. I want you to start a business. I want you to start serving. I want you to start giving. I want you to start doing whatever it may be. Here's what we believe. There's always a next step with Jesus. So maybe for you, what's going to be big and challenging is small to somebody else. But that's not, about, that's not what it's about. It's about what he's calling you to do. But what happens when you ask him what he'd like you to do and he answers? It gets kind of dangerous, doesn't it? Because you might get this holy discontent. God might show you something you didn't see before. And it moves you into action. I remember one time we heard Compassion International give a, a, a presentation at a concert or something. And Bethany and I, we, 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 I would say in our life, were generous. We, we cared about people. We cared about the poor around the world. We cared about people less fortunate than us, but we weren't necessarily taking steps or doing something about it. We heard that presentation and it was like it clicked for us and we saw something that we couldn't unsee and it created a, a, a motivating factor inside of us. And now for like the past 10 years, we've given money every month to support a child in another country. Now, I don't tell you that to say, oh, well, we do this great thing. No, a lot of you do that kind of a thing. Well, the point of it is this. We saw something and it moved us into action. We saw something that we didn't see before. And once we saw it, we couldn't unsee it. We asked God, what would you like me to do? And he said, do this. And this is where a GSV shows up in life. And here's what I want to challenge you with today. When you leave today, all I care about is that you go home and you pray this prayer. God, what would you like me to do? Show me something. Show me something. And let God do something amazing in your life. Let me show you four marks of a God-sized vision so we can get some scope of this. Four marks of a God-sized vision. A GSV will, number one, it will captivate you. It will grab your attention and not let go. It will, it will grab your attention and not let go. Have you ever had something where you're so kind of obsessed or into it, it's captivated by it, that you go to bed thinking about it and it wakes you up thinking about it. It's like your subconscious wouldn't let it go. And so you, you, you can't fall asleep because you're captivated and you can't, and then you can't stay asleep. It's like, it's captivating you. It's got your attention and it won't let go. I'm kind of an obsessive person. So if I get dug into a project, uh, I can't stop. Uh, we, we started doing puzzles. We, every at holidays, we usually get puzzles out so we can sit around the table and do puzzles. And last night I was sitting in a, in a lazy boy uh, with the fireplace on and Bethany was sitting on the rug doing a puzzle and I was reading a book and I looked down and I said, we're old. <laughs> like we don't do exciting things, you know, reading and doing a puzzle. Anyways, puzzles are dangerous for me. I actually injured myself doing a puzzle this week. <laughs> you laugh, but... Because if you're hunched over for like four or five hours in one kind of, you know, spot. So my brother was like, yeah, I played football on Thanksgiving. I was like, yeah, I hurt too. I'm sore too. Well, what did you do? Oh, I was doing a puzzle yesterday for like six hours. <laughs> the reason puzzles are dangerous for me though is I can't stop. Because you put one piece in and you're like, I'm going to do another one. <laughs> and it's the most disheartening thing, isn't it? Because you finish and you're like, let's do another one. You know what I mean? It's... It's the ultimate, it's all about the journey, not the destination, right? But it's captivating and it pulls you on and on and on. And this is what a GSV will do. It'll grab your attention and not let go. And God wants to show you something that is so much bigger and better about your life. Like what is, what's possible? It's, it's greater than you could ever even imagine. It's bigger and better than just getting ahead or just getting by or getting even. What God is going to do is when, when, when he shows you what he wants to show you, it's going to captivate you at a deep level, but he's actually going to connect it to things that he cares about. And he's going to let you into his heart and show you what actually matters. 
And all of a sudden, things that really mattered to you before are gonna matter less. And all of a sudden, you're gonna start chasing after a God-sized vision and a God-sized dream about being a person that is working alongside of God as he's recreating and restoring creation. I want you to just, let's just go really deep for like 10, 10, 15, 20, 35 minutes. I don't know, we'll figure it out. When God created this planet, he created this garden and it was a place of interface between heaven and earth and Adam and Eve were there and God says to them, hey, tend to keep the garden. But what was going on was God was actually partnering with this new creation, his human beings, to do what God does, which is to bring order out of chaos. So when you look into Genesis 1, you see like the world is in chaos. It's the, the, the hovering over the face of the deep and all this kind of stuff. The spirit of God brings forth land, but he commissions human beings to start being creative and to start cultivating and to start doing things. And that commission never died. So sin came in and it interrupted our relationship with God, destroyed our relationship with God. But that commission, that, that positioning in creation to sort of rule and reign alongside of God and bring order out of chaos never ended. And so now what we have is a world that's in disarray and disorder and evil and darkness. But when you come to Christ, not only do you get saved and resu- like you get resurrection life when you die, but now you're also supposed to help God bring heaven to earth as it is now. That was a lot of words in a hurry. So basically every day you shouldn't wake up and go, what can I do as a Christian today? You should wake up and go, what can I do as a human being created in the image of God? What's, what's the original purpose Yes, we're supposed to tell people about Jesus. Yes, there's a religious function, but there's actually something that is sort of even grander than that, which is what it means to be human in the first place. And here's the thing. Sin has come in and really doled us down to the basis level of our pleasures and pursuits. It's made us very selfish. And what God actually wants to do is take those desires and there's a heavenly purpose and it's bringing God's kingdom from heaven to earth and and establishing his ways and his will around this planet. What if every person woke up every day and said, what can I do? What what has God given me and graced me to do to bring heaven to earth today? That's a lot broader and and a grander thing. It stretches into every facet and area of life. It stretches into the business sphere. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm a business person. I think about money. I think about creating wealth. I think about Uh, launching new things. Uh, That's awesome. God put that in your heart. You can actually build his kingdom in that sphere. Maybe you're somebody who loves art and you love to create with music or uh, like, not like me. I can't paint or draw. I can't even write my own name clearly. I'm like a doctor when it comes to signing things. Uh, I'm horrible at, at, at that type of art, but I'm a musician. So I get the creative side. If God's put that in you, you can bring heaven through your art to this earth. Okay. God sized vision. But God is going to give you a, a calling. He's going he's to awaken things inside of you. You were made on purpose and for a purpose. That purpose is twofold. It's God's purpose in you to rescue you, redeem you, have a relationship with you. But it's also on the other side, a purpose that is for you. He wants to unleash you into the world to do creative, amazing things. And yet for most of us, we don't think that there's anything we can do. Why? Because we see, but we don't see. And God wants to elevate our vision. It's going to captivate you number one. Number two, a God-sized vision will challenge you. It's going to be beyond your ability to accomplish without God. My mom has an upright grand piano, and it weighs so much. And if you thought, you know, if two guys cannot move that piano, four guys, maybe, but it takes like six or eight guys to, to lift and move this piano. It's impossible to move it by yourself. And the reality is any vision that God places you that's truly a God-sized vision that he gives to you is going to be completely apart from your capacity and ability. How do you know that it could be God actually speaking something to you and challenging you to do something? It freaks you out and you cannot do it without him. 
if it doesn't take faith, then it's not a God-sized vision. It's a man-sized vision, right? It's a, pers- it's a human vision. But if it's a God vision, it's going to be beyond you. It's going to challenge you. That's why Hebrews 11.6 tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. If it doesn't require God to intervene and help you and work with you, uh, it's not taking any faith. It's not a God-sized vision. Number three, the third mark of a God-sized vision is that it will cost you. It will cost you. Come on. In life, the things that matter that are valuable, they cost something. And the bigger the vision, the more important, the more beautiful, the grander, the better, the bigger, it's going to have a bigger cost. Uh, When you think about Jesus, the scripture tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him. It was that vision that he saw of redeeming mankind. says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He paid the price because he wanted the prize. The bigger the vision, the bigger the cost. Jesus was there in the garden of Gethsemane and he was sweating blood. And he said, God, if it's your will, could this cup pass from me? Because he didn't want to pay that price. It was so expensive what he would go through, the physical, emotional, spiritual, solical torture, pain of the cross to become sin for you and I. But he saw that bigger vision. That bigger vision would be all people having an opportunity to be reconciled with God. That those who were sin wouldn't have to be sin anymore, that through putting their trust in what Jesus would go through could have everlasting life and be reconciled with God. That's a big vision. You want to talk about a superhero, Superman couldn't even beat Batman in the last movie. Jesus had to beat sin and rescue the entire world, past, present, and future from sin. I mean, that's huge. Big vision, but it had a huge cost. And here's the reality. God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, it always advances through sacrifice. Let me just tell you right now, I love Regal Theaters, but they don't let us meet here out of the goodness of their heart. We pay for this place to sit, right? Somebody paid for your seat. You're like, maybe I did. Okay, great. Uh, This church was not started um, uh, without sacrifice. Everybody that that has served, that has given money, that has invested in Joy Church to make a place for us to worship and make a, make a place for us to reach and impact our city and community and the world. It's come through sacrifice. Everything good comes through sacrifice. And so when you look at a God-sized vision in your life, if it does not cost you something, it's not from God. It will cost you. But here's the reality. Whatever price you pay to achieve the God-sized vision in your life, <clears throat> you get it back in spades. The investment is always worth it. It pales in comparison to, to what actually comes. Uh, when, whatever sacrifice we've made in our life, whether it's to give money to the kingdom of God, to see God's purposes accomplished, whether it's to give our time or whatever it may be, whatever pain we've gone through, that cost is always worth it because I want to see, we want to see what God wants us to see. We want to achieve and accomplish that God-sized vision. So a God-sized vision will captivate you. It will challenge you. It will cost you cost you something. And then number four, it will also compel you. When you get a GSV, you're going to be catapulted into action. You'll be so captivated that the challenge and the cost will pale in comparison. Bigger vision compels you, but it also compels others. The thing is, when you see something that you can't unsee, when God shows you something, that that God-sized vision for your life or for the church or for Uh, for what he's calling you to do in the world, it's going to move you out of your comfort zone. It's going to move you from inaction into action. But that's not all it does. It actually begins to inspire and activate and motivate other people. 
How many of you would say, moment of honesty, you don't have to raise your hand, but like if you want to, go ahead. You would say, I don't think I'm like a leader. How many of you would say that? You know, I'm not really the person that wants to get up in front of other people because we have a mentality, we have a, a perspective of what it means to be a leader. What I'm doing right now would be like classically definition of a leader. I'm up here and I'm monologuing. You know what I mean? You guys, I'm an introvert. I like dusty old books. I don't really like my job. Wendy. <laughs> I love you guys. I love seeing what God wants. I love seeing the purposes that come out of it, but it pushes me out of my comfort zone. I, I, I didn't grow up thinking, I will lead people. Ah! It's not how it was. Am I a leader? Absolutely. Do I, do I know what it means to be a leader? Absolutely. But I didn't start going, man, I'm going to be a, you know, plant a church and we're going to do this. Bethany and I, you go back to our early years of marriage, we didn't even know if we were necessarily going to be uh, pastors. Like, we didn't know. Growing up, I thought I would be, a, I wanted to be a Christian, not even a rock star, just in a Christian band that did kind of well. I didn't even have very big vision. I played the drums. So I was the guy in the back, you know what I mean? And then I wanted to write songs, so I had to go to the front and play the piano a little bit. And like God uses, but here's the thing, here's the thing. Maybe you don't see yourself as like a leader. Leaders why do people follow leaders? What, what makes a leader? It's not because you know how to talk or you're that classical alpha, you know, sort of leader type personality. Maybe you are. That's great. It doesn't, but it's not what, what it is. It's about vision. What, why am I the leader of Joy Church? Because God showed me something and I pursued it. Bethany and I, God showed us something. We pursued it and other people said, that looks good. That vision. When we were compelled into action, other people were compelled into action. Come on. How do you become a leader? You get captivated with a God-sized vision and you chase it with all you are and other people, it pulls them along. Every single one of you has great potential to lead and make a difference and draw other people into action if you will get sight, catch a sight of what God wants you to see, that God-sized vision for your life and you will do amazing things that you cannot even imagine because of the vision that God places inside of you. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I love studying great leaders from history because many times they're not people that necessarily were looking for the spotlight or necessarily a, a certain type of a person, but they get a vision and they're willing to go through the stages of what it takes to advance what God really established them to do. Like, I know he has a lot of uh, warts and flaws and all this, but one of my sort of uh, heroes is Winston Churchill. Like literally, probably only that guy could have gotten uh, the, the, the Western world through the moments that took place in the darkest of times in, in World War II. And like people didn't even like him, even his own country. Like, <laughs> he was kind of a jerk, you know, and he had all these kind of flaws, but he had a vision and, a, and an adamant iron will to keep on track with that vision. And, and it, it led to great things, but it wasn't based on a classical leader. Like you see like a fat, old, round person does not strike fear into the hearts of your enemies. He could barely, you know what I mean? This is what I want to be when I'm older, you know what I mean? Just totally church, Churchill. That's not the classic picture of a leader, but when we see Churchill, we're like, wow, what a leader. How about Bonaparte, Napoleon Bonaparte? The guy was like four feet tall or whatever, you know what I mean? He, he wasn't physically imposing. All Great military leaders, great leaders throughout history. Abraham Lincoln, my daughter's like, 
Hey, you like Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, yeah, she does. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln was weird looking. You know, I know, you, she thinks he's handsome, right? You think Abraham Lincoln is handsome? Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome, Evie. He, people that have done great things, it wasn't about their capacity. It was about catching sight of something and, and being able to communicate it and talk to other people about it and, and pursue it. And this is what I want to leave you with today. God wants to show you something. God wants to put something inside of you, a GSV. It's going to captivate you. It's going to challenge you. It's going to cost you, but it's going to compel you. And you'll never be bored. You'll never be unfulfilled when you're in this journey, this pursuit. I'll leave you with this story. I've been watching this show called The Curse of Oak Island. And yes, I am a nerd. How many people like it? It's awesome. Thank you, Sandy. Yes. Mm, it's awesome. Anyways, I think only really smart people like that show, Sandy. That's what I think. How, yeah. And people that love Jesus. Yeah. Anyways, in the show, there's an old dude. His name is Dan. And Dan is like 90, the one season I'm in, I think he actually passes away later, but Dan uh, Blankenship is like in his 90s. And he's been on this island searching for this buried treasure for like 50 years. And it blows me away because I, I've seen some 80, 90-year-old people and they're like, you know, you're like, how are you still alive? You know, really not, not doing so well. This guy in the show, he's like mowing his lawn, he's weed whacking, he's at their meetings, he's like looking down into the pit, like he's activated. And I felt like, watching that, it hit me. How is this individual, this guy in his 90s, so alive and alert and with it? It's because he's had a lifelong pursuit so that every day he could wake up and say, I know what I'm doing today. Do you know what will age you? You know how you can die inside of your mind before your body ever dies is when you let go of a life of purpose, when you don't see the God-sized vision. What is that thing ahead of you? What is it that God wants to show you? So go home today and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? No limitation, no fear, no, no taking stock of who I am, where I've been and what I can do. You're saying, God, whatever it, you want to do with my life, I'm, I'm along for the ride. I want to say yes to you and get a GSV. And God's going to do amazing things in your life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today. Hey, if you're here today and you're like, Pastor Jake, this sounds cool. I want, I want to do great things. I want to be the person that God made me to be. I want to get a hold of that vision. It starts with seeing Jesus. It starts with getting a clear picture of what Jesus did for you and what he did for me. You see, Jesus left the right hand of the Father. He came down to this planet. He lived among human beings in the muck, the mire, the mud. The scripture tells us he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin, but he, he bore ridicule and shame and he knows what it's like to be human, so he gets it. He understands. And he offered his perfect life for you and for me as a payment to pay that bill that we owe to God in full. And the offer that, that, that what we call the gospel, the offer that God has for you is this. If you'll give me your life, if you'll follow me, if you'll trust me, then I'm gonna give you my life. I'm gonna give you that payment. Jesus will give it all to you. And so right now you can make that decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus, to give him your life, to give him your, your sin, all the good, all the bad, to give it to him and receive his life in your place. And it's the start of a journey of following Jesus. Being a Christian is not about just praying a prayer on a Sunday. It's about praying that prayer in faith, which is an activation and it starts a journey of following Jesus. And it's a lifelong pursuit. It's awesome. 
if that's you today and you want to pray that prayer, you want to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you want him to pay for your sins and give you his life, I just want to ask you to raise your hand where I can see. Just raise your hand. Thank you so much. Anybody here? Yes. Awesome. All over the place. I want to put my faith in Christ. Not fake, not religion. No, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to do it for real. If that's you, let's pray this prayer together. Let's all pray. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. And I give you my life today. All the good and all the bad. I give it to you. And I receive your life that you gave for me at the cross where you paid for my sins. I put my trust in you and I ask you for your grace to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.